Galatians 3, starting in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Okay, you may be seated. You know, as we've been going through this journey through Galatians, you know, the law is brought up time and time again as a reoccurring point. Paul is saying some of the law doesn't pertain. But we know much of the law does. It brings value to our Christian life. So what laws are do we keep as believers? Where do we draw those lines? So today we're going to be concentrating on the law, the laws of God. And by no means will this be a comprehensive study on that, because that would take volumes. But it's something to spur your mind and your, to get you thinking that we need that continual study of God's Word, the continuous study of Men from the past who spent their lives studying, and like Sharon said, like men like R.C. Sproul and many others, to give us that proper insight and wisdom for turning to God's law. Something definitely changed when we had the new covenant. Jesus said that in Luke 22:20, and we hear it when we say communion or have communion. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus is saying he's given us a new covenant. So if you have something new, it's replacing something old. Something that was in place. Something that was put in place and accomplished the work. That it was to do. It's concluded. It's finished. You don't have to stick to it anymore. You know, it's like when I was in construction, we'd do these bases for these presses at John Deere. It'd be 24 feet down in the ground, and the press sticks up 20 feet. So we'd pour the foundation sometimes 60 yards of concrete for one press. But once that part was accomplished, we didn't think much about the foundation anymore. We took the blueprint on 
Now, next, now the press has to be set. What do we do for that? It's not that the foundation lost its importance. It will accomplish what it's doing. But some of the laws, the Mosaic laws, accomplished what they were doing. And that's what we'll study today. You know, Paul in Corinthians gives an argument of how things are changed. Second Corinthians 2.7, the whole chapter kind of goes through some of that. Him discussing the law, but it tells us, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? What he's saying is a lot of these laws that were in place were pointing to Jesus Christ, a lot of the ceremonial, the civil laws, they're pointing to Christ. They were a shadow. But now the substance is here, And the Spirit will have even more glory than the shadow that was pointing to it. We continue on. It says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. The ministry of condemnation. You know, the law is to give us the knowledge of our sin so that we need the Savior and pursue the Savior. The work of Jesus Christ is far greater than the shadow that was pointing to Him. If we continue on a little further, it says, Now the Lord is a Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who, was, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God working in us is transforming us. It's changing us. It says there is freedom. We're free from some of the ceremonial laws. But we're free from sin through the work of another, Jesus Christ. And that's why even though we know we're sinners, we confess our sins. We can get up and keep going and doing our jobs for God. Because we know those sins are covered by the work of another. Freedom from the penalties of sin doesn't mean we're sinless. It means we're better off because in our unrighteousness we have righteousness through Christ. And some of the laws that we're free from, you know, it'd be like they were discussing in the other parts of Galatians, circumcision, animal sacrifice, the Jewish calendar of feasts and festivals. You know, they're all shadows. 
that disappeared when the true substance came through Jesus Christ. However, the apostles did teach that not all laws passed away. You know, in Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, naming the first commandment. In Romans 13, 9, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. You know, we have the moral laws. The apostles are saying we have the moral laws. Some in Christendom think that the laws don't pertain at all. That they can sin and not be punished. I've worked with guys in construction like that. So I gave my life to the Lord when I was a kid, and they do whatever they want. And others think that they're like the Judaizers, that all of the laws must be kept. Every now and then I still keep reading how they're, they're thinking they have the, found the right red heifer for doing animal sacrifice again. They want to go back to Jesus plus the animal sacrificial system. So where are the lines drawn? Where do you think the lines are drawn? Is it clear to understand where they're drawn? Why were these Judaizers confused? What did Jesus say about the law in Matthew 5.17? Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill the laws. So are the Judaizers right? Jesus is saying he's making the laws more clear, expanding on the great depths of their meaning. is important to our lives. But should we be offering steers up here? Jason would probably need more money cleaning up the blood. As we continue on in that Matthew, it says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not a dot will pass away, not the smallest part. So again, are we to keep all of them? You see, this is where it's so important to understand Scripture. It says, till they are accomplished. Until all is accomplished. The ceremonial laws were accomplished. 
They were done. They did what they were meant to do. That's why when we read Scripture, we have to understand all of Scripture in the context. So once these laws accomplished what they were do, what they were supposed to do, point to Jesus Christ, they're no longer necessary circumcision, separating ourselves from others because. We can't be unequally yoked. But the moral law remains. Jesus opened the depths of their meanings to us in these moral laws. Anger, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hellfire. So Jesus is expanding on lust. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery, adultery with her in his heart. So the moral law remains. He spoke of divorce, oaths. Retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the, uh, the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He tells us to love our enemies, not hate our enemies. So Jesus is clearly teaching These laws, the moral laws, remain in place. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons they remain in place is because they predate the Mosaic Law. You know, in Romans 1.18, it tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Now God has revealed himself to man from the creation of the world, And his character. In Romans 2.12 it tells us, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And for all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteousness before God, 
but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The laws are written on their hearts. So even before the law was given, back to creation, the laws of God were written on our hearts. It was before the Jewish nation even existed. That's why the moral law does not get thrown under the bus. It has not accomplished what it needs to accomplish. You know, the Westminster Confession of Faith, speaking of the law after the fall in chapter 19, part 2, it states, the law after the fall continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness. That is why it was included in the Mosaic Law. The moral law is a perfect rule of righteousness. It's keeping that moral law that changes us, transforms us into the image of Christ. That's what God wants from all of us. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not, be, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. After the image of the Creator. That's the maturing of each and every believer. We are to rep- represent our Christ and we must understand the laws and regulations He wants us to live by to be His proper representatives. And it is that Spirit working within you that will complete the job. And Ephesians 4 tells us to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be removed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We cannot put off the moral teachings of the law We cannot say they don't pertain anymore to us. They do. How else would we be in the image of God? You know, it says, till all is accomplished. When can we throw off the moral law? 
When will it be accomplished? In 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will see him as as he is. The veil will be removed from our eyes. The darkened glass. And when he returns, the moral law will have accomplished and be finished and done. So what was accomplished? What is done? Well, the ceremonial laws, like I mentioned, and the civil laws that made God's people separate from the other nations, the restrictions, dietary restrictions, sacrifices. The laws that were the shadow pointing to Jesus Christ the substance. Even Jesus talked about the dietary restrictions. You know, in Mark 7, 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from heaven, or Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. You know, the Pharisees were always giving Jesus a hard time, so they called him out on it. And we jumped down to verse 14, or verse 14, yeah. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that is going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of the person is what defiles him. So when Peter had the blanket come down, he was already prepped by Jesus to accept that. That he could eat all foods. The parts of the restrictions, the dietary restrictions were in the past. In Colossians 2, therefore let no one Pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or what regard to festivals or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. As Paul is talking about all the ceremonial festivals the Jews had to abide by as God's people. You don't have to do it anymore. You have the two substance. You have Jesus Christ. You 
know, and then that's like circumcision, not eating with Gentiles. You know, that's part of the civil law. And a lot of these laws, you know, they they mesh with each other. And, and believe me, there are gray areas. But in Ephesians, what Jesus is looking for, what Christianity is looking for, is the unity, not the separation of people. God's people were kept separate hundreds and hundreds of years. The civil laws that were put in place, given by God through Moses. But here in Ephesians 2.15, it's clear that those laws are no no longer valid, that God wants one people. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you are at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near to the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Those civil laws were separating laws. They achieved their purpose. They're done. They're finished. Christ brings unity between all believers. There is no separation in believers. You know, we read there's no Jew, there's no Greek. There's no separation. We're all one in Christ. So these civil and these ceremonial laws do not bind us anymore. However, like that foundation, is it useless? No, they're not. The foundation is still holding up the press. And these laws are still where we can draw great wisdom, great value from. Because they're part of God's holy word. You know, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul uses a feast of unleavened bread to teach his disciples. He says, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
They're tools to learn from. They're part of Christian's history, the church's history. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he used the laws of Moses concerning the pain of elders. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For if it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thrasher thrash in hope of sharing in the crop. And if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And others, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? This law given by Moses to let your ox eat as he's threshing out the grain. But there's also a moral law for men that it can be used as an example for. Pay your workers. Not only the churchmen, the thrashers, the reapers. You know, part, other parts of the scriptures, it says that God hears the voice of those who are crying out where they're not getting paid. But they're getting the raw end of a deal. So you can see these civil laws and some of these laws of Moses kind of intersect with the moral laws for lessons to be taught. And that's why it's so hard to discern. And we must do study. And study, what is the meaning of this? Does it pertain to us? Well, here it clearly does. Pay your workers, be fair. And that is why the continual study of these laws and then the whole scriptures where you find out and tie them into other scriptures, it will be clear or made clear what pertains to us. Difficult, yes. Impossible, no. It's the study of God's word. Again, we have to have great discernment. And that discernment can only come through figuring out what we don't know. And that's by study, reading, speaking with each other. All is to advance our knowledge of how we are to live, and that is the knowledge of what is written in God's Word, how that should dictate in our lives. Like Sharon says, we, we make it available here. That's a great library downstairs. Purcell has these little blurbs on to aspire to be an elder. Christy and I love reading them. He takes difficult parts, difficult teachings, and he addresses them. And even if we look at it and say, boy, I never heard it that way before, it raises a question for us to research and to search deeper and deeper. And that's what this sermon is meant to do. 
I don't have all the answers on every one of these laws that Moses has written. There's volumes written on it. The point is I want you to question and to seek deeper. Most likely through the written word. Not only the scriptures, but the commentaries. Commentaries. We must learn to understand interpret, and to interpret the scriptures properly. It would eliminate a lot of problems in our lives. It will raise a lot of questions in our lives because many times we have been taught that portions of scripture mean one thing and they don't. They may be taken out of context. We all should be like the psalmist. In Psalm 119. I know that's the goal of our whole consistory, is that our congregation can say like the psalmist in 119, starting in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Is that your heart? That we love the law? Because it brings us wisdom. Wisdom to serve God greater than others. Than the non-believers. You know, this foolishness we see in our nation and around the world will come to an end. And people will be looking for true answers. Wise answers according to the Scripture because that is where wisdom comes. Will we have those answers? That's our duty. Will we pass the wisdom onto our children so that they're further up the ladder than we were when we started? We must look cross-generational. We're only a little dot in history. The church will go on. Do we hate every foolish way? How do you know it's a foolish way if you don't have the wisdom to know what the right way is? Let us be the people that say, oh, how I love your law, and I meditate on them. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, teach us to love your law, to seek out the understanding in your laws. Yes, it is difficult. It takes work. It takes effort. But with your Holy Spirit working within us, the answers will come.
the light will go on, which will change our hearts and it will change our lives. Your law will convict us of sin and unrighteousness. It is your law and understanding of your word that brings us to maturity as believers. And with more maturity, we are more useful for your ambassadors, for your purpose to advance your kingdom. Teach us to be such a people in Jesus' name. Amen.